Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more.
Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 104. Um, we're going to get into an interview with Scott Bernstein from Jambase, who's going to talk with us about the St. Louis 93 release. So we'll get right into that. Just first, um, wanted to just do a couple quick um, announcements. First, um, if you haven't yet, check out Broke Down Podcast, Jonathan's Grateful Dead Podcast. Hope people are enjoying it. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely do. We also want to say thanks to everyone who has um, supported HF Pod Plus. We're getting some great feedback and some uh, some support from people out there, including CJ, David, Brian, Ben, um, Colin, Jason, Matt, Justin, another CJ, and Jeff. Um, so thank you guys all for for supporting us. And if you can, um, check the show notes. You'll see a link to Patreon um, and support HF Pod Plus. So as you think about the St. Louis 93 release, um, Scott and his team at Jambase will be putting up some content. Um, a couple tracks from the soundboard release are already up, and I think some more will be up uh, the day that this episode goes live. So check out Jambase. We'll, we'll um, link to the, the most recent article. One thing that Scott says during our interview, which is super important, is that as Fish releases these, um, we just got SPAC 95 um, about a month ago or so. Every time they release these, I think it's really important that people go out by these releases and, and show fish that the support um, of the community we know that the more people that buy them uh, the more often they'll release them so let's all go support these and uh, and get them when they come out this episode is going to be structured around some discussion of both the shows from st louis 93 and then we're going to drop some tracks from the audience recordings in there just to give people a flavor if you're not familiar with the shows but um really fun conversation we appreciate scott coming on if you're heading to baker's dozen in new york and you're looking for a hotel um, a, a listener of ours named avi his uh, family owns a hotel in new york pretty close to msg called the san carlos san carlos hotel and we told him that we would um mentioned that on the podcast uh, he's a listener and we appreciate his support and um, so if you're looking for a hotel or or you want to check it out um please do so and um as always review us on itunes if you haven't um you can follow us on twitter at hf pod and send us thoughts feedback comments um ideas at helping friendly podcast at gmail.com we appreciate everyone's support and everyone listening and uh, we'll get into the interview with scott so keep on rocking Hey everyone, Jonathan and I are here with Scott Bernstein, who's been here before. He's at, at Hey Scotty B, and um, also at at Yum Blog or Yum Blog, as us as some of us like to call it. Um, Scott, welcome back. Thank you, thank you for having me. And Scott, we originally, um, you know, connected several years ago. I think this is we just determined this is your fourth appearance on the on the podcast. Thank you for um, always coming on and for helping us grow and always getting our stuff out there to your audience. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You guys do good good work and i'm glad to uh be a part of it when i can yeah and the um we're, let's talk we'll talk a little bit about jam base of course um um for those of you who don't know um scott's, scott's with jam base although i'm sure that most of you do know um so we'll talk a little bit about that but the reason that we connected reconnected with scott on this was to talk about the st louis 93 release which was announced a couple weeks ago now and i think when this episode goes up it'll be um a little less than a week before the um before the release comes out but scott you were um, I think you had said that this was maybe at the top of your wish list or near the top of your wish list since since Live Fish started. Did I get that right? Uh, uh, well, okay. Consider that the Holy Grail is Big Cypress on video with Martin Scorsese going through the footage and putting together <laughs> the perfect cut. Let's. That's number one. Number two <laughs> on my list would be the first night of Deer Creek, nineteen ninety nine. 
But right after that was always this April 14th, 1993 fish show, which is just stellar from top to bottom. And you throw in the band's other visit, St. Louis from 1993. And uh, that's just an added bonus uh, that I didn't even think about when I was putting together my list of ideal live fishes. So, yes, I'm very excited for, for this. Nice. And it'll it'll officially come out on... Um march 31st so scott have you just been pulling strings behind the scenes for years just to get this get this released or um is that what is that what we're we should be led to believe i mean you know i went back and i tried to find if i mentioned it before and i definitely yeah. did it a few times um but uh you know i i didn't write it up or anything like that uh i, I wish i could take more credit for this but this is uh you know kevin shapiro represents us fans well and this is just another example of that pretty good example i think um i know everybody i know of a few people in st louis who are ecstatic these were among their first shows and so it's kind of legendary stuff, and there's uh, kind of poor poor recordings, at least the, the April show, right? Absolutely, and that's really, you know, I'll never forget, uh, I was at Skidmore College, it must have been like 1997 or 1998, and I got a maybe third-generation audience recording of that April 14th show, and it was terrible quality, but the music on it was so good. And and that's, you know, I think there are a couple of elements that you look at for what makes a great live fish release. And one of them is obviously the quality of the show. But also what I think is important is the quality of what recordings are already out there. And the recordings of uh, both these shows weren't the greatest. And, um, you know, we got a taste of the Reba from from the second show on uh, from the archives recording. And right. uh, I remember when when Kevin played it, I was like, wow, if that's what these St. Louis shows sound like, we're really in for a treat. And it really is. It's a great mix. It, it sounds great to my ears. So, I, uh, you know, it's, it's got everything going for it. And it's such an upgrade to what was what was previously out there yeah yeah i'm sure everybody's going to be pretty ecstatic about it and once s- they get their hands on this scott i want to just make one note in this we live in a different america now where i think it's okay to take credit for things that maybe aren't you're doing um so i think you should take <laughs> full credit for this and i think we should just say that you know it's all you so thank you well, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to do it for, for all the fish fans out there. <laughs> so we're obviously going to come back and talk about both of the shows that are going to be featured in the release. Scott mentioned them um, April 14th and August 16th of 93, sort of two different points in, in fish history, even though they're from the same year. It's interesting. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But um, Scott, I wanted to start by just um, talking to you a little bit about what's going on with Jambase. Um, any exciting things coming up, how things have been evolving. I think when we first talked several years ago, um, you were undergoing a pretty big overhaul, and obviously that that all has happened, and you guys have been adding content, adding features, and and doing all kinds of really cool stuff. What's on the horizon for you? Well, you know, the latest thing, uh, we did a kind of a soft launch of a completely revamped the search function for the site. And um, now you, you put in fish uh makisopa and you'll get some results that of of reviews of shows where fish played that that song or you um you know put in king crimson uh st louis and if 
their band's playing a show there, that show will come up. And just that the search that we have on the site right now that we just put up about a week ago is, is really killer. And, um, you know, it looks great. And it really takes advantage of this great, of of this site that that we launched about a, a year and a couple of months ago at this point yeah. and have really been you know making the most of of utilizing this new platform um and will continue to do so in the future so it's just a really a good good sign of of what's what's to come and so you know uh it, it's great to have that for our articles in in terms of you know we in this generation this day everything is so now 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 the new cycle is 15 minutes and then people are on to the next story i'm sure that you know when fish announces tour dates uh already the the conversation moves on to something else by the the next day um so it it's great to but, but we've written so much great content over the years it's great to have a ways that it resurfaces better and that search engine uh really does it so it's nice and um, i'm excited for our you know extensive fish coverage of uh, baker's dozen and the other uh summer shows and uh we got a video series in the works that uh i think people will be pleased about and uh so so think things are great in the uh world of jam bass any more teaser with respect to that video series? What's that? Uh, I, I'd love to, but then I'd have to kill you. But uh, <laughs> let's just say if you've liked our past uh, video series, I think you'll like this one. Oh, we'll keep our eyes out. Nice. And um, Scott, to your point, just about like attention spans. I mean, it's interesting. On one hand, we have the luxury of doing this as a as a hobby to you know spend an hour or so talking about fish with someone who you know is fun to talk to. But I can't imagine you know trying to keep up with just content um trends and content sort of competition on an ongoing basis it must be a pretty stressful um just a pretty stressful industry in in how attention pans, attention spans continue to decrease even at this point it's uh, been about 10 years since i started writing and it's crazy how much has changed in those 10 years and you know there there are times when it's a bummer you know if you really want to lay into a review and take some time to you know write something that that's high quality uh, a lot less people will read it than if it's the first review of something and you know that's uh but but, you know, we try to balance at, at Jambase. We're always trying to balance, you know, getting stuff up quickly, but getting stuff up that's good and that, you know, people can relate to and enjoy and, and trying to, you know, bear in mind that we may not be first with something, but we'll, you know, have a better value for the reader by providing them a, 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 an article that's that's better written. Just writing on my blog by myself with no deadlines I find it very quickly, even I lose interest in the thing, or I realize, eh, that's not such a big deal anymore. And uh, I couldn't even begin to imagine keeping the kind of pace of having to crank out so many things in this, just a single day. It's it's crazy, um, but you gotta love what you do, and um, yeah. you know there there are some days that you know I don't, but most of the time I do, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, and uh, uh, Twitter has been great, you know, meeting folks like you guys and, uh, you know, keeping our eye out for, for the next story. It, it's really uh, been a great tool. Um, you know, I just hope that people 
don't just read a headline on Twitter. They'll take the time to click through and learn about what people are talking about instead of just basing it on tweets, which I find happens sometimes. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something that, you know, I'm sure you guys had to deal with all the time is the, I mean, it's nice to just, like you said, kind of take a little bit of a step back and look at something like that. But um, yeah, it's hard to, hard to break through. Well, you guys are doing a great job and putting up really great content. So thanks for, thanks for the good work. I appreciate that. Thank you. And you're probably going to be um, all over the place this summer, festivals and whatnot. Um, anything in particular that you're looking forward to? You know, I've been hearing about High Sierra for decades, and I'm finally going to have my first chance to go out there. Um, you know, I went to college in Saratoga Springs, New York, so doing SPAC for Fourth of July weekend was a pretty regular thing. Mm-hmm. And with Fish not doing the SPAC run this year, it's just perfect timing. And I, I really like the lineup. Um, I've heard wonderful things about the festival. So that's, uh, you know, between that and, and the Baker's dozen. I'm going to try to I'm saying eight right now we'll see how that <laughs> evolves um, it's going to be tough I've never missed a fish show in New York City or in uh, or, or at Madison Square Garden since wow. I was 16 years old so it'll be interesting but at the same time I, I just uh, 13 is a lot and uh, you know it, it gets back to the point where we were talking about earlier you know you want it to be fun and I you know if it ever maybe there'll be a night or a couple of nights where it'll just be fine to relax and and watch from from home but sure hip hope i uh pick the right nights if that's the case well you know the thing is if you go to the show you've got to pack in all those desks so if you stay home you've at least (laughs) got them there that is very true it's a good point (laughs) scott what are you expecting or, or what are some ideas that you've have gone through your head in terms of what what fish might do or or what the possibilities are for the the baker's dozen i think that the coolest thing would be if they can make it through with no repeats um i think that's really a a huge question um i thought perhaps when they announced it they would announce themes um i thought that would help them certainly sell tickets um and maybe that is still forthcoming you know um when page first discussed the idea of baker's dozen with relics in 2007 he brought up the idea of having a theme for each night like Mm -hmm. for instance he his uh example was boston cream and to play songs by boston and cream (laughs) so wouldn't wouldn't that be cool but at the same time um if they just go and and do it without repeats and just try to make each night it's its own thing um you know i could only imagine the anticipation by say night eight or night nine to figure out what they've played and what they haven't played and how excited would people start getting for those you know final shows how long would they make us wait for ym exactly or you know imagine they make you wait till show 13 for tweezer people would be going nuts yeah Yeah, it's interesting to think about I just, you know, if they do the Boston Cream thing, I hope I'm there for that because I want to see four play a long time again. <laughs> oh, man. <That laughs> and it's incredible. It's hopefully going to open up a little bit, you know, of space for them musically. They'll be comfortable. There'll be, you know, not a lot of travel and logistics and stuff to deal with. Hopefully they'll be loose and comfortable, just like, a, you know, last night of a four-night run or something. Um, you know, that that's often where we see this stuff sort of open up. So maybe that'll provide some new new frontiers for improv 
I'm, I'm glad they've got a handful of shows before they start the Baker's Dozen run. Um, I, I, it'll be good that they'll uh, w- won't be coming in cold to that run. Scott, what's your sort of take on just what this... I think there's been a lot of people um, sad or freaked out or whatever about this, um, you know, the Baker's Dozen being the representative of the shows they're playing this year. Do you feel like it's it represents just a break for them, or do you see this as the start of a trend? I, I don't think it's a trend. Um, you know, maybe if they shows would have sold out immediately, it might be a little different, but um, I think they've always wanted to do something different when it came to touring. They've talked about the Missing States tour and stuff like that, and um, you know they, they finally put their money where their mouth is and you know did, did something unusual. And um, but but I don't uh, do I think as they get older will they continue to play more multi night runs as opposed to touring? Sure, but I don't see this being that representative of what's to come. I think it, we're, we're talking more of a fall tour similar to what the Grateful Dead did, did towards the end where they play between uh, three and six nights at a venue and then move on and, and wind up playing uh, 30 shows at six or seven venues. That worked out pretty well for them, I think. I, I think it did. And certainly for <laughs> fans, it did. Especially New York City fans. <laughs> or in the Northeast in general. <laughs> right. So you're doing High Sierra, which I've heard wonderful things about. You're going to catch uh, like Lock-In or do any of the uh, East Coast stuff? You're gonna... I would say Lock-In would be the you know most probable on my list for now. Um, you know, Between High Sierra and the Baker's Dozen, there's a lot on my plate. So we'll see how I'm yeah, feeling when I get through that. But um, I, I went to the last two lock-ins. I really enjoyed it. Um, I like the bones of the lineup that they've announced so far. So I could certainly see myself doing that again. I had a lot of fun there last year. So it was pretty good. Should we talk about this fish concert cd release (laughs) let's do it let's Let's get into it you know we talked a little bit by about why you were excited about it so maybe we should just talk about let's get right into talking about the first show and then uh break it down it's interesting i uh the the first show as we talked about was the one that i had was laser focused on but in having a chance to listen to a review copy of it it was really the second show that i was more there were more surprises and you know i wasn't as familiar with that show but there's really great moments in in both nights and you know they start off they they came out with uh buried alive and you know this is a band that had been we're talking april 14th they had been on the road since the beginning of february so they're eight weeks into a cross-country tour i mean they were so incredibly tight and even stuff like maze or divided sky that you know you wouldn't normally stick out uh, they were just playing with such fury and you know the sense of uh rapidness and machine gunning um that uh, those songs are interesting too and um, you know things really get crazy um, at a stash and uh, there's an amazing stash that winds up going into Kung territory what is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, 
I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We call 
upon your vault. Can we stare? Can we stroll? then they finish stash and uh you know mike starts singing uh kung in german and it's just <laughs> as wild as it sounds over the most extended horse in fish history here right um i made that up but i, I bet it is I, and, I think it i think you might be right about that i i know i texted rj when i was listening to this show the other day and i was like geez this stash you guys it gets because it gets dark quick. Yeah. Well before Kung comes into play, um, you know, it, the show is really tight and and I'm a big fan of Stash. So I had been kind of digging. I liked the, I thought the ice was really particularly tight and nice little. Uh, the break was interesting, but not too weird. And then the Stash so gets dark really fast. And I texted RJ. I was like, oh, my gosh, you got to hear this. And then uh, and then the Kung came out of there and i hadn't listened to this show and i don't even know when probably i have and yeah. uh it really set me back a little yeah i wasn't i wasn't super familiar with this particular show and um scott's interesting that you you were and some of that is just like when we got tapes or recordings or which ones happened to fall in you know at, at which times because i don't remember really listening to this that much among among all the shows but um that's a really cool segment i think we should should we play a little bit of that um Kung horse craziness. Let's do it. We cannot stand and 
That was weird, actually. That's, I think, what I really want to say about it. That was, <laughs> that was pretty weird. But, there, you know, the rest of the show continues uh, to be really great. There's a big ball jam. And um, I, I I almost want to pick nits against fish calling that a spooky – fish net calling that a spooky jam. I didn't see what the the – tracking is on the album page does sing it um right th- does sing a verse um but you know what i really love so much about the second set and the encore is the the story behind it so one of trey's good friends from the princeton mafia like that he grew up with such as uh, tom tom marshall is uh, roger holloway and roger wound up in st louis and um 
Trey brought out Roger and his girlfriend uh, at the beginning of the second set, and Roger proposed to his wife, or his girlfriend at the time, Jen, who said yes. And uh, then Fish lights into ACDC Bag, which has got a lyric that references Roger. There's kind of this celebratory feel that continues throughout the whole set. And even into the encore, you know, when Fish starts up contact, Trace says this is for Roger and Jen as they uh, embark on the road of life. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really cool. And there's just no weak points whatsoever, you know, besides the uh, spooky jam in Yem, you also have a harpua where Trey yeah. tells us a story about dreams. 
themes and um, you know qu- quotes of the Jetsons theme song in there and Dreamweaver. Um, it's it's just uh, really the, the show is is fairly relentless. It, it's incredible. Scott, you mentioned this is like eight weeks into their tour, and it's an interesting time in in their history because this is maybe. Maybe 92 is sort of like this, but 93 seems to, in my memory to be the first year of like full on cross country touring, like for most of the most of the year with some breaks in between. But it's an incredibly um, prolific time for them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny you say that I kind of feel like this and spring summer tour 94 is kind of the uh the the end of their road warrior days Mm -hmm. it was after 94 that they would get into a pattern of taking the first six months off of the year and then playing a lot in the back end of, of the year be it summer tour followed by fall tour and new year's um you know and uh 93 and 94 they just hit it so hard they were pretty much on the road the whole period of 93 and 94 except for the few months that they were recording Hoist in Los Angeles so even when they weren't on the road together they were still together mm-hmm. and you know there's there's something about four guys on a bus or in a studio you know that together that is just uh, it, it, they come up with these great ideas from night to night and pull them off and talk about it face to face instead of having to do it over text like they do now or <laughs> however it, it is. So um, these were really uh, the, the, the glory days. And you mentioned the machine gun. I mean, the relentlessness of the music is just, man, every song is just nailed, you know, from beginning to end. There's not a, I, I don't think there's for the flood, for the flood people out there, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot to catch in a show like this. Yep. My, my notes list was really short. um well before we move on to talking about the august show should we play some a little bit of that you enjoy myself spooky jam and before we do that i I should point out that this first show does comply with the rule uh it has a buried alive opener and it's awesome oh nice nice yeah i'm sorry this complies with jonathan's rules so it's important to know before we get into this so keep that in mind as you listen to this jam
when they announced this, I was like, St. Louis 93. Like, I have no idea what that means. Cause just cause neither of these shows popped to mind. And I was thinking of a run or a, a group of shows. And, um, it's pretty interesting that they chose the, you know, the two shows from St. Louis. It, it must have some significance to, to Shapiro or, or whoever, as it, as it did to you. Any, um, I don't know any sort of ideas on on why they paired these two shows out of because we were just talking before the music about how they played so many shows in '93. You could go in any number of directions when bringing a couple shows to together for a release. But what's your theory on on these two? I think uh, it's two very different shows. I think there are just a couple of repeats, and even something like "It's Ice" sounds completely different from one show to the next. Yes. And it's a rare situation where you've got a band coming through and playing the same venue, the same city, but two completely different shows. Kind of similar to the situation they had with uh, Ventura, where it was a year apart, but still two very different shows. Yeah, that's true. Um, both under circulated um, and with uh, audience recordings that, that weren't great. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, what better than to just release one show than to release two shows. <laughs> and it was just, yeah. uh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it, but I'm glad uh, that's why I'm not the one making those decisions. <laughs> right. Well, the in August 93, I mean, as we get into talking about 816, I mean, I, Jonathan, it's it's one of one of his most uh, frequently cited months, I think, and just incredible shows, incredible run. Um, it's of kind shows. of a big deal. It's all those every single show is has something to offer all the way through the closer from from the Greek. Um, but this one is interesting. There's a nice early um, first set Reba that's that's really fantastic that I feel like kicks off the the show. I would say top five. It's in top five Reba's without a doubt. And what I really love about this show is if you look at the set list on Fishnet, um, they've since they redid the site, they put little headphones next to yeah. the highlights. And there are four headphones in the first set alone. They put it for Possum, which is a very unusual version. Reba, which, you know, orgasmic, multi-tiered, as we were saying, as I was saying, top five.
foam, um, which resolves in an unusual way, and a dark, dirty, nasty split open and melt. I mean, and that's just the first set. That, that's pretty crazy to think about, actually, those those four together, especially the Reba foam and split up and melt. Unbelievable. Do you feel like Reba, the 90, do you feel like 93 is a particularly good year for Reba in your mind? Is it like, do, do, do any of your other top fives fall in 93? Um, I don't know. I, I would say 93 through 95 is mm-hmm. uh, my favorite period. You know, I would say the um, the the one from Lowell uh, from, from May 16th, 95 yeah. is definitely in my top five, as is Halloween 94. Um, and, uh, you know, in more recent, I, I it, it's been a while, but uh, I believe there was in 2010, there was a really good one. I, I think you can't go wrong in 92 through 95 with Ariba. August 93, I've talked about it far too much, so I won't harp on it, but they they really were, after all the touring they had been doing throughout the year, uh, up to that point, they were, and uh, by this point, they were able to really break loose in their jamming and their improvisation. And they were, you know, I mean, they do it in possum, you know, yeah. and, um, and and in foam, you know, they really just kind of bust out. They do it again in the second set. They do it in mics, um, and which I thought was a pretty good mics. Um, uh, yeah, even it, was, it doesn't have the little headphones on it, but uh, <laughs> agreed. I would put the headphones there. There's a cool little like possumy jam. It's like almost like possum reprise.
and and then uh, how, do you guys know how do you, is it fat? Uh, I always call it fat. I think I think <laughs> fat. Yeah. <laughs> Windham uh, Hell. I, yeah, that, that's how uh, back in the day uh, it used to be re- referred to. But uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a wild song to be thrown in the middle of Mike's Weekapa. And you've got to remember that, you know, with the, from 88 through uh, through the beginning of 93, it, it was Mike's Hydrogen Weekapa. That was it. There was no getting around it. And then they finally started changing that um, in 1993 and got at, very crazy with what they put in the middle of, of uh, Mike's Weekapa. My favorite being Mike's Leprechaun Weekapa and Mike's Great Gig in the Sky and Weekapa is always good. Yeah. But really, it was 93 where they were playing Mike's Weekapa every other night and throwing crazy stuff in between the two songs. Yeah. Well, let's um. Maybe we should listen to just a touch of that. We could pog now.
so we just listened to a little bit of that week pog and so the ne- the rest of the the set scott there was a um um another acoustic um intro and my friend my friend these two these two shows there's a lot of uh, acoustic guitar interludes which is kind of interesting um hadn't noticed that before I'm, I'm i miss those days where trey had an acoustic on a stand um i never saw any of those shows um and it was gone by the time um you know i started seeing them in april of 94 so i think it was just the 1993 thing hmm. where hmm. trey had the uh acoustic guitar on on a stand right and it, it was only 93 I'm pretty sure, yeah. and it led to a number of really cool moments, like the horse in the first show, and uh, they extend uh, the beginning of My Friend a little bit here um, as well. Man, and then they have some, the Big Ball Jam stuff is just kind of nonsensical Love to it. me. <laughs> Jonathan loves it. You're probably, you're probably a Vocal Jam fan too, aren't you? Um, uh, yeah, sure man I, I also listen to drums yeah, when it yeah, comes oh, on man. the tape so. All right, that's for another that's actually for another podcast isn't it that's true <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a plug for broke down podcast um so then this show um ends with a rock and good times bad times there's not a better closer really for the way that they're playing in 93 than good times bad times and I imagine they had to get out of town quick or something with that amazing grace rocky top encore it must have taken uh uh, two or three minutes but you know it gotta remember uh it's amazing grace they without any microphones they just the four guys standing at the front of this uh old uh old theater in downtown st louis um belting out amazing grace with no microphones or anything and uh you know the crowd is is pretty attentive and uh you know that was something they were unable to do for very much longer after 94 a little bit in 95 yeah and the knockout rocky top they must have been leaning up on curfew because they were only going to kansas city for the next show so yeah that's a good point like they had a long haul for the next night i want to just just about the geography of this jonathan sorry to interrupt just because just to give some context to the um the what scott said earlier just about how they were you know the peak of the road warrior phase so that week on the 11th of august they were in grand rapids michigan the 12th and another show in michigan 13th um of course the murat in indianapolis then they go up to chicago on the 14th back to louisville on the 15th then this show in st louis on the 16th then kansas city on the 17th and then they had a break to get out to the red rocks but I mean, that's an incredible amount of travel and shows every single night for that many nights in a row. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine just driving to all those places in my car and like sleeping in a hotel and then doing that the next day, let alone setting up and playing shows in between. And those shows are all legendary. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) they're all great. Yeah. Not only are they putting on all those miles in such short time, but they're playing amazing music every night. It's, It's pretty impressive. I'm wondering if somebody's got to have, if they haven't, somebody ought to take up the task of visualizing all of these tours as a Google Maps overlay so we can That's see where idea. they were and uh, the mileage. and the. So um, there's a homework for somebody out there. <laughs> I was actually, I wanted to rephrase my statement and say I would be very tired if I flew in a plane to, from all these cities in that amount of days let alone driving yeah. in a car. <laughs> driving in be better. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so, Scott, looking back on this, I mean, this is really good stuff, and um, we appreciate you 
I'm, I'm glad that it's so, you know, personally fulfilling to you to get, to get this release. Um, so that's awesome. Um, after you were able to listen to a release copy and everyone should, should, you know, get it when it comes out on the 31st and we've been going back to the audience recordings, but Scott, you got to listen to a little bit of the, the release copy. What, um, what are your kind of overall takeaways after, after listening through? The sound quality was even better than I'd hoped for. It really is incredible. And even though it's not from 64 track recordings, like, uh, a live one is, uh, Paul knew how to tape the shows and, um, and they've been remastered and, uh, they, they, they sound great. And it's a really cool look at uh, an amazing period in Fish's history and they were playing for you know it, it was crazy to think that they were playing at this small venue and were so good um you know a year later they would go from a venue in, in New York City playing a venue the size of the American in St. Louis being the beacon to by the end of the year selling out Madison Square Garden so um, you know they were still hungry and still a lot of people didn't know who they were and um, they, uh, they they crushed it on a nightly basis and this is a great um, example of where they were at that time well said. Jonathan, would anything to add from your perspective? Well, I, you know, I think you touched on it earlier, which is that um, 93 began with them with the new baby grand piano and, you know, a new a sh- a shift to their sound. And then they, as we as we've kind of covered, then they hit the road and they hit it really hard. And this this release spans these two points of a band growing into a new sound um, and then, you know, taking all of that experience and really breaking through to what will eventually become yet another new sound. We touched on it in the tweezer episode, however, 93 was, you know, their jamming would often, you know, they would find uh, another song and they would go with that. And so you hear the uh, gypsy queen teases in the week of Pog, um, things like that. And they, they go with it there and then, you know, and that's this is in August, and by the next year, they're making entirely new music in those points, and uh, really just expanding their jamming. So this is a great document of that transition for the band. Yeah, they were more like ADD in 1993 versus in 94, 95. They were uh, were exploring things, one theme for a longer period of time instead of just you know toying with one idea and then quickly going to the next one. Um, but I love that uh, adventurousness and um, you know the the ADD you know work oh, yeah. on one theme real quick and then move to the next one and you know they they just had covered so much ground you know as an example just in that Reba alone and it almost feels like they're they're continuously kind of pushing forward even through to the New Year's show with the you know the down with disease jam out of all Lang Syne on New Year's Eve that just it feels like they're just they just can't wait to keep keep moving forward whereas I was thinking as you were saying that Scott the same thing like some later years they're kind of not falling back like in a lazy way but just sort of like getting more comfortable in a space like that they were able to explore as opposed to continuously pushing forward like they were in these days yeah, they had something to prove, and it was clear. 
man they did a good job um yeah. <laughs> I think i'm, I'm convinced yeah well yeah, if, so i if, think so if you as our listeners are not convinced yet then we will drop you a little bit of this foam to try and um, further convince you because that was one thing we wanted to to mention that we haven't listened to yet so we'll um we'll play that on the back back end of this um scott thanks so much for for joining and um for all the work you do at Jambase and for all the contributions to the fish community we appreciate everything you do i really appreciate that and for those uh listening really you know buy this release um because we want more like it and the only way it's going to happen is if people purchase what fish puts out there so i may have gotten a free copy but i still ordered one from dry goods because i i i don't just want the downloads i want the full package i want to see the 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 box and the cool artwork so please you know support fish's endeavors when it comes if, if you like live archival releases like we do you know so support the band's efforts absolutely because i can see this summer will be the anniversary of the great one so it'll be time for that next summer oh, will be the be anniversary great. of the lemon wheel it'll be time <laughs> for that the following year will be time for big cypress right it, it had been a long time since the last box set, so let's, you know, it, it was great. We got uh, SPAC 95 out of nowhere a few weeks ago, yeah. um, so let's just uh, all support what they're doing, and uh, hopefully the, the, the vault keeps on uh, releasing its goods to us. That's a great point, and, and something... Um something that's really important to say we gotta we gotta support it so they'll keep they'll keep bringing them out um and actually one small plug is scott they should really release that lowell show from uh may from may of 95 because i feel like that's i don't have i've never heard a good recording of that and that's a there's so many great gems on there so that's my that's my personal request absolutely i think they've done a couple on uh from the archives but it would be yeah. nice for an official release and i'd certainly love to see video if any video of that exists i'd love to see um <laughs> you know gloria steinem on stage with fish and yeah, fish right. play those songs like lie too that they never uh played again yeah exactly man that's a good one all right well we will we will stop the wish list there but um that's an important plug scott so thank thank you and um for those of you who don't um follow scott on twitter he's at hey scott eb and um and we appreciate scott coming on so thank you thanks for having me guys all right thanks for coming on
What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriole, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.